Bombs rain on Kharkiv. Ukraine under attack while its president makes a passionate plea to the European Union. BC reviews pandemic restrictions. Those protections we have in place right now remain a necessary part of our strategy. What could be loosened just in time for spring break. And stranger danger. You know, these are extraordinary incidents that we haven't seen. I haven't seen in 33 years that I've been a police officer. With a rise in random violence, VPD's deputy chief on what needs to change to protect people in Vancouver. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Canada is announcing new measures against Russia as the invasion of Ukraine stretches into its sixth day. Millions of dollars in humanitarian aid is being promised and Russian ships will now be barred from Canadian ports and waters. Aaron MacArthur reports. Fighting continued for a sixth night across Ukraine. Firefighters rushing into buildings to limit the damage inflicted by Russian missiles. Tuesday, Russia increased the ferocity of its shelling, hitting several key targets across the country. A communications tower was hit in Kyiv and the main government building in Kharkiv targeted by missiles. The Ukrainian president asking the EU and the world for help. We are fighting for our rights, for our freedoms, for life, for our life. And now we're, boring for, we're fighting for survival. Canada has promised more aid to Ukraine and ratcheted up the pressure on Russia. All Russian ships will now be banned from Canadian waters and all ports. This in addition to the closure of Canadian airspace to Russian commercial aircraft. The Canadian Armed Forces sending 1,600 bulletproof vests to Ukraine, along with 400,000 ready-to-eat meals. Canada's finance minister is promising more sanctions will be announced in the coming days. President Putin has made a grave and historic error. This is not the behavior of a superpower. This is the last gasp of a failing kleptocracy. Canadians continue to donate for humanitarian aid. The Red Cross Fund for Ukraine has already reached its $10 million target, meeting the government of Canada's threshold to match those donations. The UN has estimated more than 600,000 people have already fled Ukraine and expects the number of refugees could be five times that many. Trains leaving the capital packed with people fleeing the violence. And this is a big tragedy for me to leave my city and actually I don't know am I going to come back or not. No food, no bread, no water, no tablets, no pharmacy, nothing. More talks scheduled between Russian and Ukrainian diplomats Wednesday. There are no signs of Russian withdrawal. The Russian column of troops and weaponry inching closer to Kyiv every day. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Ukrainians here in B.C. have begun laying down the groundwork to support refugees from the war-torn country when they start to arrive in the Lower Mainland. The federal government has so far approved nearly 4,000 Ukrainian refugees to immigrate to Canada since the start of the Russian conflict. Monday night, members of the local Ukrainian community held a meeting with municipal and federal politicians they want to make sure housing and other resources are ready when refugees do arrive to help them integrate right away. 
Langley City's mayor says being proactive is key, especially since they haven't received any guidance from the federal government on a number of logistical challenges. Transportation to get them here in the first place. When they get here, um, how do we get them housing? How do we get them back into an education system? How do we get them back working if if they need to? Um, how can we get them supports um, mentally and psychologically? All the costs of resettling them here are expected to be covered by donations, and some churches have already volunteered their spaces to house some of the refugees. It's not clear yet how many of the refugees Canada takes in will be coming to B.C. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the province's response to the crisis in Ukraine and what more B.C. can do to help, Keith. Bit of breaking news on this front, Chris. The BC Investment Corporation in the last hour, and this is the corporation that manages uh, the BC public uh, pension plans and other financial matters, just announced it's now actively uh, divesting itself of all Russian securities. Gordon Fife, the CEO, making the announcement today saying normally they don't comment on their investments, but given what he calls the egregious activities of Russia in, in terms of attacking and invading Ukraine, he felt the need to be public. So they're now actively uh, divesting about $107 million worth of Russian securities. The whole issue of what the BC Insurance Investment Corporation should do in terms of its Russian holdings has been the topic of question period the last two days. BC Liberals pressing the NDP on this. And today the finance minister, Selena Robinson, revealing that a tool that was brought in to fight money laundering and dirty money in real estate. Land ownership transparency uh, registry is now being used to go after Russian oligarchs if they own land in BC. Here's a raucous exchange in the House today. As a government, we, have, uh, we, we are continuing to, to identify ways uh, to make our voices known uh, to, in, the, in the global world about uh, this, uh, this, incur- this illegal incursion into Ukraine. Last week, I asked staff to look into land ownership records related to Russian oligarchs, Mr. Speaker, Members, so that we can make answer, sure that, that we are doing everything that we can bring to bear on this uh, situation. So the minister told me outside the house, the RCMP have been brought in here to look at land title records to see indeed how much, if any, uh, Russian holdings are in B.C. real estate. Not entirely clear what would happen when it's discovered, and the federal government is taking the lead role here as well. Fascinating to see how this uh, evolves in the coming days. I know you'll be watching it, and so will we. Thanks very much, Keith. All right, turning to the pandemic now, more provinces are scaling back on their COVID restrictions, dropping vaccine passports and indoor mask mandates. Both of those restrictions are still in place here in B.C., but as Richard Zussman reports, there are hints things could soon change. They are a required staple of everyday life in B.C. Masks in public indoor spaces and proof of COVID vaccination. It looks like that will soon change. We've been uh, looking at what are the natural transition times and what amount of transmission in our community means that these additional barriers are not as needed as they are when we have high rates of transmission. The province expecting to announce soon when it will be easing these major COVID measures, focusing on March 14th, the first official day of March break for most K-12 students in B.C. If you look across Canada, B.C. is one of the only provinces not to get rid of or announce the official end of vaccine cards and mask mandates. Ontario, the latest to join the group, dropping vaccine card requirements Tuesday. It's not a race of a few days, I think, when province just announced changes today. And so uh, we're going to continue to follow the same approach, and I think that's what people in B.C. want. 
there will still be options for individual businesses to keep the vaccine card requirement and masking policies in place even after the province gets rid of the official order. I absolutely will support businesses continuing to uh, protect their workers, making sure that uh, uh, depending on what the business is and the risk, and that they can, can continue to use the BC vaccine card. Since Omicron took over, there's been little science to support a vaccine card requiring just two doses of COVID vaccine. I think in its current state, it's not doing much for people. It's the, the current vaccine card is based on two vaccines. And the current science tells us that two vaccines will probably not change your risk of actually catching Omicron. The easing of restrictions may also apply to schools as well, with changes expected in time for kids returning to the classroom post-March break. Trying to give a, a, normal, a sense of normalcy to schools uh, for the end of the year. Opening the door for moving from graduation events like this, a COVID creation, back to these events. Just one shift expected as everyone adjusts to what dropping these significant restrictions will look like. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Trends look good. Now we'll take a look at the latest numbers from our province. We have 523 people in hospital. 83 of those patients are in critical care. There have been no new deaths recorded over 24 hours, and we have 466 new confirmed infections. The BC cruise ship season is set to kick off in just over a month, but whether it's a billion-dollar boom or a bust could depend on our federal government. At issue is whether Ottawa will stick with its requirement for everyone on board to be vaccinated. Ted Chernecki reports. The first cruise ship in two years is set to arrive at Victoria Harbour in just 37 days. And so hopes everyone in the industry that this is the beginning of a cruising season better than anything in 2019. I'm very optimistic that we're going to see that first ship here on April the 6th. And, and I'm incredibly optimistic we're going to see a good season. Cruise ship vessel calls to port this year versus 2019 are impressive. Vancouver has 310 port of calls booked, up 8% from 2019. Victoria has 348, almost 100 more than the last full cruising season. And on the East Coast, Halifax is expecting 152, about 85% of 2019's traffic. But it's not all clear sailing. About 10 days ago, an Alaskan delegation introduced new legislation in Washington, D.C. Seeking to have another exemption from what's known as the Passenger Vessel Services Act, and to boil it down, that would mean the cruise ships would not have to stop in, uh, in a Canadian port on their way to Alaska if they're leaving Seattle. The problems, most cruise lines consider their vessels fully vaccinated when at least 95% of those on board have had at least two doses. Canada requires 100% and there's tougher entry testing. So it's not so much about the percentage of people being vaccinated. It's around really what are the testing requirements going to be before people are allowed to get off the ship in Victoria. Even today, the Government of Canada website is advising Canadians to avoid all cruise ship travel outside of Canada. What we're hoping is that the Government of Canada will mirror the regulations that we're already following successfully in the United States and elsewhere around the world. Until there's more clarity, the Port of Vancouver continues to display the word draft on its list of cruise ships coming. Industry insiders say it's now up to Ottawa to get this sorted out and quickly, or risk turning what could be a banner year to one of a bust. Again, Ted Schernick, Global News. 
Two weeks after the so-called Freedom Convoy protest blockade was removed from the Pacific Highway border, access to the crossing has now been fully restored. Surrey RCMP have now removed the checkpoints that have been set up following the removal of the blockade on the night of February 14th. Those checkpoints had been intended to prevent protesters from setting up another protest and forcing another closure of the border. Police say over the three weeks of protests at the crossing, 18 people were arrested and several more investigations are still underway. Surrey RCMP say they'll be maintaining a stepped-up presence in the area just in case. Vancouver police speak out about random street violence. A sit-down with Deputy Chief Howard Chow to see what it will take to better protect people from stranger danger in just over a minute. If they want me to dig latrines, I'll dig latrines. A call to arms. The Canadians leaving their lives behind to help out in Ukraine. And the man who gave Powell River its name and why the city says it might be time to change it. That's coming up a little bit later, but right now it's a frightening phenomenon that's becoming all too common in the streets of B.C. cities. Violent and unprovoked stranger attacks, many of which are committed by people with severe mental health or drug issues. As Rumina Dea reports, new numbers from Vancouver police show every day in the city, four people are becoming victims of those crimes. Hot coffee thrown at an innocent worker. A woman pushed and thrown to the ground for no reason. More than four victims are assaulted by a stranger every day, say Vancouver police. These are extraordinary incidents that we haven't seen. I haven't seen in 33 years that I've been a police officer. And uh, these kind of numbers, and it's alarming to us. This is our uh, briefing package that I would get every single day. Deputy Chief Howard Chow tells Global News there are multiple violent, unprovoked attacks every 24 hours, including a terrifying incident Saturday afternoon when a man believed to be in psychosis attacked five women. We're talking just straight stranger assaults where there is no history, no relationship, uh, no provocation. More than 1,700 victims in one year, September 2020 to September 2021, an approximate 35% increase compared to 2019, says Chow adding that suspects are identified and arrested in a majority of cases, but they're released. A small group of offenders with serious mental health and addiction issues, police are seeing over and over again. It's not surprising to me that many of these will have 200, 300 police interactions in their history. For one uh, person? One person. We've had others that have had up to five, 600 police interactions for one person. The government says it's expanding police mental health teams investing millions in more complex care beds and supporting situation tables where experts are dealing with repeat offenders. The communities that have situation tables, 54% of police files have been closed. Chow believes there's a lot of solid work being done, but what's missing is alignment between agencies. Every single day in the city of Vancouver, we make about 10 mental health apprehensions every single day. And then we get them to a facility, to a medical facility, uh, hospital, and generally speaking, uh, half if not more are released a very short time later, even before our reports are done. What's happening now, unprecedented, says the deputy chief, who's warning more needs to be done to crush the cycle. These unprovoked assaults is, is just the tip of the iceberg and some of the issues that we're having to deal with on an ongoing basis. Romina Dea, Global News. 
Kelowna RCMP say mental health concerns played a role in the weekend security guard and three of the city's four homicides in 2021. It's just very hard. It just seems so senseless. No, no one deserves this, but she definitely didn't deserve it. Harmandeep Kaur was working as a security guard at UBCO when she was assaulted Saturday by a man who also worked at the university. She later died in hospital. The suspect was arrested under the Mental Health Act. The detachment had previously called for more resources from the province to help respond to incidents involving mental health, a request that's now being repeated by members of city council. I have absolute sympathy and my heart is broken for the family and friends of the security guard we lost at UBCO this week. And this is uh, another example of the failed mental health and substance use policy that has been neglected for decades. And it's really frustrating because, frankly, it lands on the laps of municipal government when it is policy and funding that lies at a provincial and federal level. Kaur's parents are on their way to the Okanagan from India, and the local community says it will do its best to support her family when they arrive. Up next, a traumatic trip to the bank. And she told me that she wasn't going to be able to open the account, and she handed me a refusal letter. Why this potential customer has filed a human rights complaint. And final arguments in the Craig James trial. Did the former clerk of the legislature really break the law? Don Powers and Glow 1 high above the Pitt River Bridge. Good news is cleared an accident that was westbound with the left lane blocked off. Not so good news is we're seeing huge delays all the way back to almost the Golden Ears Bridge. You're going to find it back into Park Road. Sussex Insurance are your community auto plan experts. For questions about recent ICBC changes or to find a location near you, visit sussexinsurance.com today. I'm Don Powers and Glow 1 high above the Pitt River Bridge. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. University of Alberta researchers have discovered what they believe might be unmarked graves near a former residential school. A warning, some of the details of this story might be disturbing to some viewers. The discovery was made about four hours northwest of Edmonton at the site of the former St. Bernard's Indian Residential School, which operated from 1894 to 1957. The local First Nation says 169 anomalies consistent with unmarked graves have been found. 115 were found in the community cemetery with no grave markers, while the other 54 were found outside of the cemetery. Now, we understand these stories might be triggering for some of our viewers, and there is support available for survivors and their families. The number is toll-free, 24 hours a day, and you can speak in confidence with someone at 1-800-721-0066. A human rights complaint has been filed on behalf of a Haltzik First Nation man who says he was denied service at a Surrey bank when his identity was questioned. The incident happened last May, but Sharif Mohammed Bamji says incidents like these happen so often he felt he should speak up. Catherine Urquhart reports. Hello, I'm okay. Sharif Mohammed Bamji says he just wanted to open an account at the TD branch in Surrey's Clayton Heights. Instead, they rejected his Indian status card as fake and called police. Me feel excluded 
made me feel like I wasn't part of. Um, it felt like I didn't belong. The Surrey father, who identifies as both Indigenous and Muslim, claims he waited more than 40 minutes at the branch as the teller and manager asked for additional identification. He says everything checked out, but they refused to open the account. The bank lady told me to leave, and so I left. And I didn't think anything of it after I left because the interaction was done and I didn't think anything else was going to be pursuant of it. About two or three hours later from my door, I get a knock from the police. So when the police came, he told me he was having problems with brown, wild, blue as well. And he told me that it was clear discrimination. Bamji is a member of Haltsek First Nation, and his story is strikingly similar to that of Maxwell Johnson, also a member of Haltsek First Nation. In 2019, Johnson tried to open an account for his granddaughter, Torianne, at a bank of Montreal in Vancouver. Their ID was also rejected, and both were handcuffed. Financial institutions in Canada uh, need to acknowledge, you know, the systemic racial biases, you know, within the institutions. Um, you know, clearly there needs to be a lot more work done around cultural awareness and sensitivity. Try to go right to the top. Bamji has filed a complaint with the Canadian Human Rights Commission. As for TD, they told Global News in part... We are taking this matter very seriously and will be conducting a full review. And we recognize the reality of systemic racism and will respectfully engage and cooperate with the Canadian Human Rights Commission process. The 37-year-old father says it's important for him to speak out for the sake of his nine-year-old daughter, Jasmina. I just am glad that TD is going to be held accountable, and I feel that anybody that does this kind of stuff should be held accountable, and hopefully one day we won't have as many issues as we do now. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A big change could be coming to Powell River now that the city's namesake and his colonial past are coming to light. This month, the survey will help decide the city's future. As Kylie Stanton reports, those involved see it as another step on the road to reconciliation. They say come for a visit, stay for a lifetime. Powell River's natural beauty is no secret, but how it got its name is another story. Powell was someone who is deeply complicit in colonialism. The city is named after Israel Wood Powell, superintendent of Indian Affairs for BC in the late 1800s. And while there is no record of him visiting Powell River, he managed to leave his mark. You know, he had a role in banning our economies and our spiritual ways. He had a role in establishing residential schools. That's inconsistent with our commitment to each other as neighbours and our commitment to reconciliation. Now the city is exploring a name change with public engagement underway. Residents are being encouraged to share their thoughts with this online survey, in letters to the mayor and through gatherings expected to take place this spring. All of these things, uh, reflecting the clarity and the transparency with which it was gathered, are essential to making uh, a decision. It's all being facilitated by the possible name change joint working group, made up of representatives from the city and the Slaliman First Nation. And while it has taken a long time to get to this point, there's still a long way to go. No name or any of this kind of thing has been decided yet. None of that's happened. The hope is to make a recommendation to mayor and council in time for them to make a decision before the fall municipal elections. 
perhaps set a precedent for others along the way. I have hope and I think most people, like once they know better, then they want to do better. And I think that is where um, my neighbours are at um, in the city of Pearl River. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Final arguments have begun at the fraud and breach of trust trial of former legislature clerk Craig James. He's accused of expensing personal items, using legislature property for personal reasons, and giving himself a hefty retirement benefit. Grace Key tells us what happened in court. Crown began with its submissions, and again, this case surrounds the use of a trailer and wood splitter, retirement benefits, and items purchased while on business trips abroad. Crown saying Mr. James seemed to have been constitutionally incapable of walking past a gift shop without going in and purchasing souvenirs he kept for himself but charged to his employer. Dozens and dozens of items James bought at gift shops were shown in court. Some of the items were stored at his home. There was testimony that James bought some items as a prototype to possibly sell at the legislative gift shop and some were given as gifts. There was also a wood splitter and trailer to be used for emergency purposes. James picked up the items personally, but it would be a year before they were brought to the legislative grounds. It was suggested that a decision hadn't been made yet on where to park them. Crown saying our position is that that it is a pretext and a fabricated problem put forward to justify keeping and using those items at home. There were a number of places the wood splitter and trailer could be kept at the precinct. About $258,000 in retirement benefits have also been called into question with Crown saying James used his position as clerk to get this windfall amount. Crown has repeatedly said James's position is similar to a CEO. Crown will be continuing on Wednesday. Once it wraps up, it will be defense's turn. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. Up next, Canadians answer the call. This is what I need to do. How a Canadian soccer player and several others are signing up to fight in Ukraine. And the Okanagan group trying to take care of animals caught in the conflict too. John Powers and Global One Hive of a crash in Langley. A car was in the ditch. It's now out. It's Highway 1 eastbound after 216th. The left lane, or it's actually off to the shoulder, so no lanes are blocked. Get best in class protection and savings with BCAA insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm John Powers and Global One Hive of a crash in Langley. While many are donating money in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, others are willing to put much more on the line. Thousands have said they'll join Ukraine's International Legion to fight against Russian troops. And as Global Sean O'Shea reports, that includes some Canadians. As the war in Ukraine rages on, there are Canadians stepping up to defend the country, like Paul Hughes, north of Calgary, a former Canadian military man now on his way to the war-torn country. I haven't helped one person yet, but I'm about to. Why have you decided to go now? In Toronto, I meet 61-year-old Ivan Babinski, a Ukrainian who recently became a Canadian citizen. He's flying out too. It's also my duty as a Ukrainian to go help my brothers. For 22-year-old Ukrainian-born soccer player Sivatik Artemenko, raised in Winnipeg since the age of two, that meant signing up with Ukraine's army. He's in Odessa now. Ukraine has always been a country, is a country, and will be a country, and at the moment... Uh, for it to keep being a country, um, this is what I need to do. Responding to a call to arms, not a difficult decision for so many in this country and to the south. 
I spoke to retired Marine John McHugh in Wyoming. Like the Canadians, his group doesn't know what to expect. We're all warriors, and uh, we, we're ready to fight. And it doesn't matter what gear we have, we'll fight with what we've got. And right now, Ukraine is kind of the little guy getting bullied around, and no one wants to see that. Vladimir Putin has motivated many to volunteer. I've been a sort of an anti-bully guy my entire life, and uh, this is the ultimate bully. They all tell me they'll do whatever's asked. If they want me to dig latrines, I'll dig latrines. Uh, if they want me to go to the front lines in Kiev, I'll go to the front lines in Kiev. There is a lot of us, and we will not be defeated. And that's why I think that the more of us go to Ukraine, the higher the chance that we will defeat this aggression. Sean O'Shea, Global News. And a Powell River man says he is planning to fly to Europe to... The president called for um, international volunteers to come over and, and help. Um, with or without military experience, and I thought, well, there's there's my chance. 33-year-old Bryson Woolsey has quit his job as a cook and says he will head to Poland next week. He says he wants to do what he can because it's the right thing to do. I really admire what the men and women did during World War One and World War Two and the Korean War, and just uh, to help people maintain their independence and fight, help freedom. And I've always wanted to somehow um, leave a mark in that way too. And uh, it's, this is an opportunity to do that. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's what I want to do. It's the right thing. Wolsey says it was a simple decision for him as he doesn't have anything holding him back. But he believes people who are on the fence about making the same decision should take an honest look at it. And if they want to do it, jump in. A West Kelowna organization is on a mission to help animals caught up in the Ukraine invasion. The founder of the Animal Food Bank says many people have stayed behind and put themselves in dangerous situations because they aren't able to evacuate with their pets. Humanitarian efforts, social services, things like that, um, they tend to focus on the needs of people and not pets. That's why we exist. And we only... We feel it's so important for people to understand the choices that citizens of Ukraine are being faced with. The organization says you can donate directly to the Animal Food Bank and label your donation Relief for Ukraine, and they'll send the funds to organizations in need. Its website also lists a number of other ways you can help the people of Ukraine who need extra support for their animals. In Health Matters tonight, a sensitive topic, postpartum depression, and the thoughts many mothers have of hurting their newborns. A new study out of UBC finds these thoughts should be discussed with new moms as a normal experience. The research also says when there are no other risk factors, there is no danger to the baby's safety. However, researchers found these thoughts could lead mothers to develop OCD, which could interfere with parenting if left untreated. Results from the study will now inform clinical practice guidelines for postpartum harm thoughts. Coming up, newlyweds who almost didn't make it to their own ceremony. Why they ended up in the back of a police car for their trip to the altar later. And why the barge on the beach isn't going anywhere for a while. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
daffodils blooming near the famous barge that ran aground in English Bay last November, punctuating the fact that it's been here almost all winter and will be chilling there for a little while longer. The park board has been told the company that's being contracted to dismantle the barge is still in the detailed planning stages. There are a myriad of conditions to consider, including minimizing the effect on the use of the seawall, environmental concerns, even an archaeological study. There are a number of government agencies involved as well, along with three First Nations. And even after that's all looked after, the board was told it will take 12 to 15 15 weeks to remove the entire barge. Plenty more selfies ahead with that as a backdrop, no doubt. All right, to these guys, Stanley Park Coyotes are in the news again with the Vancouver Park Board warning people it's now breeding season. As Krista Dow reports, they're asking people to learn to coexist with the animals, hoping to avoid a repeat of last year's attacks on humans and the coyote cull. From the ground, it is a striking balance of living things and urban living. From up high, a rare vantage point showing just how vast Stanley Park's ecosystem truly is. We share the park. We share the whole city with coyotes. They're around all the time. Perhaps now much more visible. Denning and breeding season is now underway with coyote pups expected to be born in the spring. The Vancouver Park Board warning people to be on alert at Stanley Park. There are spaces where we want coyotes to have refuge in those larger, denser, forested areas of the park. So staying on designated trails and not going off of those designated trails into areas where coyotes may be living is advised. Last year, there were 45 attacks in Stanley Park. 11 coyotes were killed. Since, there have been coyote sightings, but no attacks. The park board is renewing its calls about the importance of coexisting peacefully with coyotes. Park users are reminded to never feed any wildlife, including pigeons, squirrels or raccoons, or risk a $500 fine. Don't intentionally leave any food behind, keep pets on a leash except in designated off-leash areas, and obey trail closures as some trails may be closed so denning coyotes won't be disturbed. When it comes to enforcement, park rangers do have the right to ticket violators. Our park rangers did issue one ticket to, to an individual. There was tickets issued prior to the, the work with the conservation office. So this is ongoing work that we'll continue to monitor. Stanley Park is a is fantastic habitat for coyotes, so they can find all the food they need there without our help. Putting food on the ground or hand feeding them will lead to their removal. An example of humans doing more harm than good. Krista Dow, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at our weather forecast. It's been uh, quite a day to start off March, Christy. It sure has been. I mean, I think for some, March was in like a lamb because a lot of people saw a bit of blue sky today. But there was a major thunderstorm that rolled across Metro Vancouver into downtown and North Shore regions. Here's a quick look at what it was like underneath. Definitely in like a lion for some people. It's hailing right now. Rainfall rates. Easily 50 to 75 millimeters so per hour. So gusty winds, that's for sure. And uh, 
Gusty winds and downpours of rain. We had reports of hail. Here's a quick look at what it looked like from a distance. This is looking from Delta to uh, north or sort of downtown Vancouver. And it was an incredible thunderstorm cloud. You can see a shelf uh, cloud there developing. That's that uh, sort of um, line that you see down below uh, of the actual thunderstorm. Incredible shot. Uh, here's a look at the Doppler radar showing the intensity. A lot of lightning strikes. We certainly saw them here in the North Shore. And there were lightning strikes across parts of Vancouver Island as well. Now we're going to continue with this southwest flow and very unstable air mass. Overnight tonight we still do have a chance of these pockets of precipitation although I'm not expecting any thunderstorms but tomorrow is going to be a one of those days where you need to bring your rain jacket just in case. Similar to today you may see some breaks of blue sky but you may also see some pockets of more intense precipitation at times although we don't have a risk of thunderstorms at this time. Uh, that takes us into our Thursday with a similar pattern but we're still hoping for that sunshine. Friday, Saturday, and through the weekend. Tonight's center windows weather window comes to you from Ryan, who also sent us that last shot. And this is another great shot of that incredible cumulonimbus cloud. <laughs> Ominous looking, mm -hmm. for sure. All right, thanks very much, Christy, and thanks, Ryan, for sending that in. Slow starts. Oh, they can really kill you, Squire. I know. In a lot of things, actually. Mm -hmm. I thinking that's like my typical morning is a slow start. <laughs> really? But your days usually end well. The Canucks last night, the gun went off. They didn't start running right away. Did not come out um, as well as we were supposed to come out is shocking to me. Nobody had a good game, but Yaroslav Halak was the one who looked particularly bad and couldn't finish what he started again. Also tonight, love won't wait. How a Toronto couple got to their wedding ceremony with only minutes to spare. Same studio. I know it's nice. It's nice. That. Yes, I can see your almost, actual faces. It almost touched. There we. Oh wow! <laughs> I used to have a seat at that desk, but apparently not anymore. <laughs> you know what? We're getting there. Really? One day. One All day right. it'll happen. I can't wait. Um, and then I can do that too. <laughs> uh, starting slow, not being ready to go in the first period is a problem the Vancouver Canucks have had all season, no matter who's been the coach. But while Thatcher Demko often covers up for those poor starts by making huge saves. The guy beside me, Yaroslav Halak, has not. Now, not all the goals last night were his fault, but still, you got to make a tough save to give your team a boost, and he couldn't do that. Six goals on 14 shots earlier in February, five on 12 against the Islanders. It's as if the Canucks went with a rent-a-goalie in those games. And when you look at the numbers in February between these two, look at Demko's save percentage. That's great, 919. Halak's, I think there were 73 goalies used in February in the NHL, and Halak's save percentage is the worst at 649. The uh, Vancouver Canucks, make that the Vancouver Whitecaps, don't know if they'll have striker Brian White for their home opener this Saturday against New York FC, which is the defending champs. Uh, he has a foot contusion he suffered in practice. Now, he wasn't able to practice today. He wasn't able to play in the opening game last Saturday against the Columbus Crew, but that's not the reason the Whitecaps lost 4-0. Tragic defending was the reason for that disaster. Brian White couldn't have saved them from that fate. The uh, World Curling Federation is in the process of banning the Russian team for the upcoming 
Women's World Championships in Prince George, Russia is among 13 countries that are planning to send a team to the event, which starts on March 19th. St. Patrick Secondary School in Vancouver is definitely a school that punches above its weight when it comes to boys' basketball. Not only are they not a big school, they don't often have big players, but they believe in the motto, heart over height, and their senior and junior boys' teams have won a lot of games that way. Our slogan is is, uh, heart over height. Um, and, you know, we don't get the biggest kids, and we're a small school. We don't get the most athletic kids all the time. But what we do have kids uh, are kids that are willing to work hard and kids that are willing to learn and learn the fundamentals of the game. Seated 23rd at the BC Boys AA Provincial Basketball Championship, East Vancouver St. Patrick Celtics came within a game of playing in the championship final. This from a school that, just like its players on the court, is also small in stature. 500 students, with the overwhelming majority being Filipino. Uh, Most of the kids, a lot of the kids are Filipino. Um, We do have other ethnic groups, but um, on the basketball team, 80% are the Filipino kids, and Filipino kids don't have that much height. I I give all the kudos to the kids. Um, We can can guide them a certain way, but it's also how they they put in the work um, when no one's watching. They will storm the court here at the Langley Event Center. The St. Patrick Celtics have done it. All that hard work is clearly paying off. Two years ago, the Celtics won the inaugural Junior Varsity Boys Provincials. That team would have likely repeated had it not been for the pandemic. Now that same group, which just added another banner to St. Patrick's Championship Collection, is about to take a run at the AAA Boys title. Um, I just said, you know what? Um, let's let's try our luck to see if what what we can do. We've never done it. We've never gone up to AAA, um, but but I it's a good challenge for the kids. And and I'm uh, we were we were just thinking let's let's give that challenge and let's let's see where it can go. Our extracurricular programs are unbelievable. The school, um, especially of course athletics. Um, Is basketball the heartbeat though, St. Patrick's, with the success that it's had? Yes, the boys' program has been unbelievable. Girls did really well this year as well. Everybody's proud, just proud to be part of it. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Well, since 1972, baseball has had either nine lockouts or strikes. Uh, This current labor pain is a lockout, and this one is going to cost games. Today, baseball said they will likely drop each team's schedule from 162 games to 156 after the union rejected the league's final offer, which, of course, isn't really their final offer. That's just what they called it. If it was solely within... um my ability or the ability of the clubs to get an agreement, we'd have an agreement. The tough thing about this process is it takes both parties to make an agreement. I'm really disappointed that we didn't make an agreement, and I'm really committed to doing everything possible to get one. All right. We need to give that guy a light. I know. I, um, <laughs> it, I don't know if it would help make an agreement, but it would certainly, certainly help us see, see him. him yeah. yeah. All right, thanks, Squire. Speaking of agreements, marriage is maybe the most important of them all. And still ahead, how love found a way to get a couple to their own wedding just in the nick of time. Anyone who's done it will tell you no matter how carefully a wedding day is planned, it seems it's probably a good idea to expect the unexpected. Well, a Toronto couple almost missed their wedding altogether a couple of weeks ago. That is until a police officer went above and beyond the call of duty to save the day. Global's Tracy Tong explains. 
It's not how Arohi Chopra and Brijesh Patel pictured their wedding day, but here they were, in the back of a police cruiser, minutes before their ceremony. We were booked to be married at City Hall. Uh, we had a, an hour buffer in between, but like any wedding, a few hiccups in between. This was one of the hiccups. Widespread road closures throughout downtown Toronto because of anti-mandate protests. There was no way their Uber could get them to City Hall. So we got out, lots of slush and snow. We're dressed up you know, beautifully in his suit, my dress, our fancy shoes and jackets. Um, and that's when we saw our, this police car there blocking one of the streets. Time was ticking and they needed help. It was sticky timing, so I, I went for it and she said, sure, you know, and uh, hop in. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we got into the back and, uh, and she, she went to go get another officer to make sure that her, her, her block was covered. And uh, she gives right to the, a ride right to the front. It was no luxurious limousine, but the ride in custody got them to City Hall with two minutes to spare. She opened up the doors, let us out, gave us a couple of hugs and uh, sent us on, us on our way. I thought, you know what, something had to be done for them. It's their special day and it's the little things I think that you can do for people that really can actually make a difference. The newlyweds, grateful for the kind cop who saved their wedding day and the Bonnie and Clyde story they will share for years to come. Tracy Tong, Global News. I mean, it's a, a <laughs> something to remember. <laughs> that, that's the, the only reason that it's appropriate to be in the right. back of a police car on your wedding on day. Your wedding day. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, last word on weather before we go from Christy outside. Thanks. So there is a slight risk of a thunderstorm, but overall what we could just see is spotty showers as we continue through the evening hours. Tomorrow and Thursday will be similar where we'll see breaks of blue sky, but also a chance of showers. So keep your rain jacket handy for the next couple of days. Will do. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.